Welcome, everyone, to the Spiritual Brew Pub. I'm your host, Michael Camp. Today, I'm excited to have Kathy Shahada back with us on the podcast. Kathy is a writer, editor, and researcher at If Americans Knew, which is a media organization focused on the Middle East. And uh, she's also a progressive Christian blogger at Pathios with the title Grace Cover Colored Glasses. Kathy, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you back. Um, you have a particular expertise that we tapped the last time you were on. And, uh, you know, you work for this organization called If Americans Knew, uh, which I'm reading from their website now. So correct me if I'm wrong. They mm -hmm. focus on Israeli-Palestinian conflict uh, the conflict and and U.S. foreign policy regarding the Middle East, and and press coverage um, of of the issue, specifically information that is to a large degree missing from the American media. Um, so last uh, time, two months ago, uh, we talked about what people of faith need to know about Israel and Gaza. And if you haven't listened to that one, folks, please do. It is very eye-opening. Um, uh, I also want to say that uh, both Kathy and I, <clears throat> what I call <clears throat> both both and activists, um, a, that's a phrase I actually got from a Jewish rabbi living in Israel. By, by that, I mean uh, people who sympathize with anyone, any people who are suffering, uh, in this case, in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, both Israelis and Palestinians, um, and th that's uh, not always equal suffering, as we'll probably learn, but but because there is grave suffering on both sides. Um, but Kathy, uh, you have a deep connection to this region as you have family and relatives who are Palestinians living in Gaza, mm -hmm. and that's what we want to talk about today, um, what we're calling a refugee family's quest for survival in Gaza. So uh, today we want to hear about what's going on in Israel from their perspective. And so why don't we get started? Uh, why don't you let us know uh, about your family, introduce us to who they are and um, and where they live, etc. Okay. So first, I would just like to put an asterisk on um, your comment that that we're talking about Israel because Gaza is not part of Israel. It's right, it's the uh, occupied territories, right? Palestinian territories. Right. Um, so, and I have been focusing a lot on Gaza because we do have family there. So my husband was born in Gaza in um, a refugee camp. His parents um, were part of the Nakba, the catastrophe in 1948, in which about 750,000 Palestinians were exiled from their ancestral homes in Palestine um, when the state of Israel was created. They were either chased out or ran out and were never allowed to return, which is a violation of international law. So they ended up in Gaza. He was born in Gaza and we have lots okay, of- Okay, so they, they came to Gaza before he was born as refugees, right? Right. right. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, so we've got uh, a number of, I mean, Palestinians multiply like rabbits and, um, there's just 
oodles of, of relatives there. Some are close, some are distant, but um, this family that, that we've been in touch with are the, um, let's see, so the matriarch of their family was the is the sister of my father-in-law. So in Palestinian parlance, you would say that that's a pretty close relative. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, she's in her 90s. So she was really? a young mother when the Nakba happened. And she fled and all of her family, our family fled. And most of them ended up in Gaza. Some ended up in the West Bank. Um, so um, uh, Zahia is her name. She ended up in the Nusirat um, refugee camp. And they were still there until like two weeks ago um, in the refugee camp. So, um, so yeah, she is there with, um, with her son and his wife and they have eight children mm -hmm. or maybe nine. I kind of lost track, but um, they have a whole bunch of children uh, from about, uh, I think about fifth grade uh, through adults right. um, that are living in the household. Um, so uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was actually on Christmas Eve, I think they got the word to evacuate the camp. And they are now in Khan Yunus, which is a little farther south, um, and staying with relatives there. Okay. So how big was this refugee is this refugee camp they were living in? That's a good question. I, I tens of thousands? Yeah, okay. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know the exact number, but Right. So, um they when when you know get an idea of what this is like, they've been uh driven out of their homes in 1948. Mm -hmm. Uh uh, flee to either the West Bank or Gaza. In this case, most of the family fleed to Gaza. And then they were in a refugee camp. So there was no room for them when they arrived in Gaza. There was already populated with people. So they just opened up refugee camps because there was tens right. of thousands of people. I right, mean, you said right. a total of 750,000. Do you know how many of those arrived in Gaza? I want to say that about 80% of the residents of Gaza are refugees from 1948 okay. or the families of refugees. Right. So I'm not sure exactly how many left. Also, uh, some of the refugees ended up in Lebanon and Jordan and Syria as well. So, right. Okay. So it wasn't just in, all right, in, the, in that area. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, well, let's just go back. I mean, what, 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 what is it like? What was it like for them to live in Gaza? Um, you know, through the years, uh, you know, um, and then and then what happened in 2007? Something big happened mm, yeah. there. But what was it like up until then? And then what happened? So before 2007, I mean, there's a couple of sections of history. We've got before 1967. 1967 was the Six Day War uh -huh. uh, when uh, Israel occupied Gaza. Um, starting then there was a lot of, uh, restrictions on the people that there was a lot of resistance on the part of Palestinian people in Gaza against the occupation. And because of that, there was a lot of 
pushback, a lot of violence coming back from Israel to try to stop the resistance. Um, in um, in 2005, okay, and so before that, um, Israel started to move settlers into Gaza. There were a couple thousand settlers living in Gaza, surrounded by, you know, over a million Palestinians who were exiles. And it, let's just say they didn't get along well. Um, okay. uh, thousands of Israeli soldiers were there to protect the um, settlers in Gaza, and it just didn't go well. Um, so would you say that it's kind of like the same situation in the West Bank now? It was what was similar. happening back then. Yeah, it's, it's similar. similar. Um, the, yeah. yeah. Um, so in 2005, um, Israel pulled all of their settlers out of Gaza, and they said, okay, we're not occupying Gaza anymore. But we're going to control everything that goes into Gaza, everything that comes out of Gaza. We're going to control the air above Gaza. We're going to control the water next to Gaza. And um, nothing is going to happen without our control. So mm -hmm. uh, under international law, uh, they're still occupying Gaza, even though they're not inside. They're occupying it from just beyond the borders. Right, so they're controlling the flow of goods, and, uh, people, and and people have if they have to leave if they want to leave Gaza, they have to get permission. Is it how hard is it to leave Gaza? Really hard. Um, they uh, they put restrictions so that if you uh, if you decide to leave Gaza, you probably will never be able to come back again. Wow. I, don't know why they do that because they're kind of trying to get rid of Palestinians. So, um, yeah, I think they would they would make it easy for you to leave, but that's not the case. So, um, so yeah, that's what happened in two thousand and five, and then um, in about two thousand six or early two thousand seven, um, Palestinians held a free and open elections for representation um, and um, the Hamas political party won those elections. Now Hamas has a background of course of um, suicide attacks mm -hmm. that go back a long time. These are part of the resistance when you have virtually no weapons and no money and your opponent has one of the biggest militaries in the world, you don't have a whole lot of options if you want to resist. And so the method that they could put together was, I mean, after they tried all the other things, um, there were some, some suicide bombings. Um, but Hamas was not all about suicide bombings they were also a political organization they're also a, hum a human not humanitarian but they also take care of civil uh, civic needs of the people mm -hmm. um, they were feeding them making sure they had enough to eat um, uh, keeping order in the in the neighborhoods and things like that they were really kind of forced into uh, becoming a political party as well. That wasn't what they really wanted to do, but then they got elected 
And um, so basically Israel said, okay, you had your free and open elections and they were legitimate, but we don't like who won. So um, we're not going to recognize your government and um, we're going to consider it a terrorist organization. And uh, we're putting all of Gaza under a blockade until you get rid of these Hamas people because they don't like Israel and they uh, they don't want to recognize Israel. So, um, so Gaza has been under that blockade since about 2007. So, that's mm-hmm. a really long time. Um, and the and the blockade was what what you talked about controlling the borders, what comes in and out. There's no free passage. Uh, right. Right. And it, what what a kind of effect does the blockade have on the economy? I mean, it completely destroyed the economy. You, uh, this is uh, my niece sent me some information, um, Horia, uh, about the blockade recently. Um, she did some research. She said um, because of the restrictions on materials going into Gaza. Uh, 80% of the factories were really closed down because they couldn't get the raw materials to manufacture things. So um, there was nothing to manufacture. People lost their jobs. There there was no goods to sell and to buy. And um, and there was really no money going, you know, going around. So um, the blockade really destroyed the economy, destroyed the people. Um, something like 80% of the people are on um, humanitarian aid. I mean, uh, the before yeah, very the high war unemployment started, rates. Yeah, before uh, the war started, it was close to 50% unemployment, I think. And for the young people, it was like 75%. Um, right, right. Okay. So, so what, what did your family do? I mean, did they get to have jobs or just independently try to make money? What, what was their, what were they doing economically? They have been getting aid from uh, the United Nations for years. Um, unfortunately, um, the, the dad in the family um, is not able to work because he's got serious health problems. So they've oh, been living on, on aid for a long time. We've sent them a, a little something whenever we've been able to. But other than that, um, they've just been, they live in free housing in a refugee camp, or they did until they had to evacuate. Right. Um, so uh, there were not that many expenses, but there was also nothing to do except sit around and wait. Really? Day. Yeah. Wasn't. Was weren't people trying to I don't know you know buy and sell things and have a little uh, yeah yeah the, the, I mean there's a market there was a market there were farmers yeah. that that uh, okay. grew produce and sold it so I mean there it wasn't two million people just sitting on their couches right but um, the very few opportunities and it, you know trying to get ahead or trying to save up for the future is very difficult. Um, yeah. What What about school? What What kind of schooling was there for the kids there? So Palestinian uh, education is really, really good. And Palestinians are one of the most highly educated people groups in the world, which 
seems like that that should guarantee success. But if you can't get a job, then right. what do you do with it? So we have uh, one of our nephews that we're in touch with. Um, he got a degree in, in pharmacy and he has been a pharmacist. So where did he, he get, where did he go to college? In Gaza. In Gaza. There, okay. There's a couple of really excellent universities there. Mm -hmm. okay. Um, uh, a couple others, uh, other brothers, uh, they've gone to school. They have gotten an education. Our, our niece, Haria, has, um, has a bachelor's degree, but can't find a job. Um, she's almost finished with her master's degree. And now, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with, with that, um, if she's going to even be able to finish and graduate oh. now. So how do the how do the colleges get uh, good you know good professors and teachers there? Well, Gazans are very well educated, so lots of Gazan professors. They're able to also um, bring in some from outside. Mm -hmm. um, you know, lots of red tape, but it can be done. Okay. Um, so right. yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, so uh, what from what I read, the economy is just in shambles because of the blockade and because of these restrictions that uh, mm -hmm. that uh, if you wanted to set up a business uh, like, for example, f let's just say you're farming Gaza and you had a crop and you wanted to sell it outside of Gaza. Uh, how, how would that work? So um, Israel controls all the borders. So you pack up your your goods in a truck and take it to the crossing and you wait until uh, the Israeli border guards inspect your stuff and take their time. And, you know, if it's hasn't spoiled yet, then it gets unloaded from your truck and reloaded onto another truck on the other side of the border. And then it goes out from there. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the, the people inside Gaza need plenty of food too. So there's a market for, for um, produce within Gaza as well. Right. Right. I imagine there is, I heard there was straw there. Strawberries is a big, is a big crop there and they have more strawberries than they need. And they try to uh, export it. Is mm. that right? Yeah. I've heard that. Um, yep. It's mm -hmm. it's a very delicate product it's hard to keep strawberries in good condition while they're sitting in the sun waiting at a border right so right it's a risky yep. business right okay so um uh what about after since the blockade i mean between blockade was 2007 mm -hmm. and now it's 2024 um but even before, let's just say up to October, October, which huge changes came, mm. but up until October 7th, uh, it's been pretty much the same. What, what, what's it been like for your family? I mean, have they, uh, what was their, has their experience been? Well, um, so there's two different sets of answers to that question. One is when there's a war on and one is when there's not a war on. Yeah. Right. Tell yeah. us about that because it hasn't yeah. been a whole from 2007 to 2000 to, to October 7th, 2023, 
has not all been peaceful. <laughs> not by a long not shot. Not at all. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I just want to mention that having a country or a people group under blockade like this is collective punishment. And collective punishment is a violation of international law. So, um, right, right. So, I mean, there, there's, it's under the guise of, well, you know, you have Hamas there, so we have to have all these restrictions, but, yeah. but many more people than Hamas are being punished for this. Right. Right. Yeah. You can't, I mean, it's just that, well, we'll get into that when we talk about the war, but, um, using Hamas as an excuse for everything that, that Israel does, um, at some point, they're going to have to um, take responsibility for what they've done that had nothing to do with um, with degrading Hamas. Um, right. Anyway. Right. Um, yes, yeah. so, well, that's been going on, though, off and on from since 2007. Right, at least, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, during... So we've had, a, uh, there was a war in 2008. There was a war in 2012, a big one in 2014. And mm -hmm. then uh, we had the nonviolent um, um, protests in 2018. And then tw I want to say 2020, 2021, 2022, maybe not 2020, because we were in lockdown. So 21, 22, and earlier in 23, there were, um, escalations where for a couple of days, Israel was just dropping bombs all over the place and killing people, and then it would stop. Um, so uh, Haria tells me, we, we've been in touch for a long, long time, Haria and me, and she talks like, well, you know, this is kind of the worst war I've been through. She's 26 wow. and she has been through wow. so many wars that she compares them to each other. Yes, right, that's, right. That's, that's amazing. Not, right. That's not the way you're supposed to grow up. Um, so yeah, she she told me about how uh how terrifying it was and how she when she was little she would cover her head with a blanket when the bombs were dropping and it was so loud and so noisy and and now she's like I say, I think 26 and she's got younger brothers and sisters. And so she tries to comfort them when the bombs are dropping and all the noise is, is happening. So it's terrifying to, um, to go through a war and it's kind of inexplicable, but in between the wars, it's, um, there's a constantly, um, Israeli, drones flying overhead, reconnaissance mm -hmm. missions. Mm -hmm. um, there are incursions where Israeli um, military vehicles come inside and just kind of poke around and do whatever they want to do, which is against the, the law because it, it's not their property and they're not occupying, supposedly. So when, what, what do you mean by anything they want to do? What do they do? Well, they, they will... Uh, not a lot of this is is well known, but they'll drive uh, drive some tanks or some jeeps or something into Gaza, and uh, maybe scope some things out. Maybe try to take out some Hamas people, or uh, dig some dig some uh, uh, piles of dirt for themselves to hide behind when mm -hmm. they want to do something later, or just rip up a 
some crops, uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're also constantly sniping at if there's a farmer who is farming his land and it's too close to the border, they'll just kill him. Um, really? Shooting at the, the fishermen out in the Red Sea. Um, they're shooting at them or they'll take, uh, take their um, boats away and their sh- uh, fishing gear and just confiscate it. If they get too far out, is that is that what well, you mean? So yeah, under under international law, or maybe it's the Oslo Accords, um, there's a certain amount of the Red Sea that is supposed to be accessible to the people of Gaza for their fishing. Mm-hmm. And Israel is always saying, no, you can't go that far out, 20 miles maybe. You can't go that far. We'll let you go six miles. And if you go mm-hmm. more than six miles, then you're on your own. Right. And people will go four miles out and they'll get and they'll still be yeah yeah yeah. right and so it's very arbitrary you never know right safe yeah Mm -hmm. okay um yeah yeah. so so i'm I'm curious about the the previous wars you said that um what's her name again uh horia she she uh you know described what, what it was like you know to encounter bombing and everything how close were was she living in that refugee camp during those other wars and how mm-hmm. close were they to the bombing um yeah they they've lived in the refugee camp all the whole time um she never uh told me exactly how close things were but i mean sometimes she would say that the house shook okay well so some yeah, of them were close. close enough yeah um or they could see out the window that what was going on, the explosions and the fires and things like that. Um, right. okay. You know, Gaza so is close very close enough small. to see and feel. And, <laughs> and mm-hmm. were they hitting the refugee camp or a neighbor? What were they? What were the targets? Well, that depends on who you ask. Um, Israel right. will say invariably they are hitting a Hamas operative. Mm-hmm. target of some kind. Uh, but a Hamas operative target to them is there is somebody who works for Hamas. They might be in, uh, they might be, a, I don't know, a mailman, or they might be somebody who passes out food, but he works for Hamas and he is sleeping at home with his family and, you know, his 10 kids or something that Israel calls that a legitimate target. And they will drop a bomb on that house and kill the whole family. This is against international law. This is not how you conduct these kinds of things. Yeah, it's really insane. I mean, you know, Hamas is not like a a military. They have a a military arm, but they're much more than that. And and their military arm or or the, the, the organization itself, they don't have like you know, uh, army bases or military bases that are, are, that are targets. They, I assume that they're just living in the communities where they, yeah, they, I mean, they have, yeah, they have the training areas and, and things where they, they do things, they gather and do these things. And, uh, they have places where they manufacture ammunition and, and all those kinds of things. But 
it's not like there's these giant warehouses yeah. full of ammo right. that they drop a bomb right. on. It's usually somebody's right. house or something like that. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they'll say, well, we hit a, a military target and it was successful. And, but what it actually was, was a family sleeping it in was, their beds. It was yeah, bombing a neighborhood or a house in, in a residential area. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, wow. Some... And, and, um, the, uh, I, I saw this film called born in Gaza. Very shocking because it mm. took you through what it was like for these six different children who were, you know, in their experience during the 2014 war, you know, mm. with the bombing that was going on there. And, uh, it's just amazing. Uh, the trauma that they have to go through just to survive. And then, you know, learning that some of their relatives were killed and everything. And, yeah. and I, I think most people don't understand. It's kind of like, it's, it's a, it's a chronic problem. It's over and over again. Yeah. There might be a couple of years between wars, but like you said, there's an, um, incursions by the, IDF coming in and doing things and there's drones overhead and there's it's kind of it seems like it's a very uh, traumatic intense place yeah. to live and grow up yeah uh, and also just to to kind of flesh out the picture a little bit more uh, when thousands and thousands of homes and apartment buildings and businesses and factories are being bombed into rubble and the blockade does not allow things like cement and nails and things to come in. You can't do a lot to repair your home. So people are, are I mean, it's, there's just no such thing as normalcy, you know? You can't. Yeah. Well, yeah. How, I mean, how does that work? If they, they, they bomb neighborhoods or homes and, and uh, now people have to go try to rebuild, but mm -hmm. You know they can't get building supplies. I mean, you can't just go down to your local contract, right. <laughs> Home, Depot, <laughs> Home Depot, and pick up supplies and right. hire a contractor who goes mm -hmm. and does that. <laughs> yeah, they. I mean, Pal I mean, Palestinians have by by necessity become very creative in their solutions. So they they'll go to um, a site where where a, a apartment building has been dem demolished, and they'll take the all the concrete chunks and they'll grind it up and oh, then kind of okay. try to create some, some new materials from that. They'll oh, take the rebar out and straighten it out. And wow. That's I mean, they're doing yeah. the best you can, um, but right. yeah. So they're, they're managing to manage, I guess, but it's not, right. there's never a normal I day, I think. I see. Okay. All right. Yeah. So all those things are controlled. It seems, I would also think that, you know, when, if they have hospitals, I've noticed that a lot of the hospitals, they must be sponsored by other organizations because they yeah. have other names. And so those people probably get permission to bring in materials and build a hospital. Is that, does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah. To a certain extent. And um, yeah. they'll get permission to bring in the, you know, the, the um, machinery, the equipment mm -hmm. for, mm -hmm. uh, x-rays and mammograms and all those okay. different things um but then a lot of times if there's repair that needs to be done on some of this equipment israel will say well no we can't let the repair the parts spare parts right. in because 
you could use them for some nefarious purpose. All so right. there's a lot of compromise. Even before the war, there's a lot of compromise of um, of the medical uh, facilities and the equipment and the, I mean, even normal medications are hard to come by. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's so many limitations and restrictions and there's no guarantee. It sounds like, oh, we might be able to do this, but we'll try, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. you, you just, you just don't know. You and ask and see what happens. Right. Right. Okay. There's no, yeah, it's hard to, you know, it's, it's really hard. It's almost, it's pretty much impossible to build a business an enterprise to build an industry under those conditions, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. You have no, free, there's, it's not a free market. Uh, where you can just freely uh, engage in business transactions, mm. you know, and build build an enterprise or whatever it is and start and have relationships with other businesses. It seems that it's so restrictive that mm -hmm. that's impossible to do that. Yeah. Um, so what about since uh, October 7th? Let's pivot a little bit. October mm -hmm. 7th happens. Um, what What's the experience been like? They were in the refugee camp. And uh, what what was their experience from October 7th on? Yeah, so um, so I would get uh, I would get a text from Haria once in a while and she would say, oh, there's a bombing going on nearby and um, we're all huddled together in one room. Or I would read about it on the news and I would say, hey, it looks like there's some bombing near you. Yeah, is everybody okay? Yes, we're okay. Um, electricity was turned off, so they have had no, literally, no electricity since October 11th. I think that's the day. Really? It was off. Wow. No electricity. Solar panels. Some people have solar panels, so that's where you go if you want to get your cell phone charged mm -hmm. up. Go to somebody mm -hmm. who's got solar panels. Although for a while, Israel was specifically targeting solar panels on people's roofs. Really specifically doing that. Yeah. So um, no electricity. So, and then when they ran, you know, they've got their uh, gas stove and when the gas runs out, the cylinder is empty. You got no gas. So uh, you collect wood and twigs and things from the neighborhood and you make a fire to cook your food on that. And mm -hmm. so everybody's pantry had whatever canned goods and whatever there's nothing in the fridge because you can't keep it cold um so everybody's going through whatever they got in the cabinets and eating the canned foods and whatever um and the little bits that they can find at you know at the stores until that was all gone um or until it got to be so expensive that there was just no way that you could afford it um so, yeah, so, and, and it just kept going on and on and on. And how, you know, how long is this going to last? How much food can we eat today, not knowing how many more days this is going to last? So right. we had, um, we had the family, um, they, they left their house there was some bombing so close to the house that shrapnel came into their house. And they said, okay, okay this, we got to get out of this one. They went to uh, an uncle's house and a bunch of other families were there too. So they had something like uh, 20 people, I think, 
in this small house. And one night um, they opened a can of beans and that's all that they had for the whole group. But one oh, can of beans, everybody had like a spoonful of beans. Um, and uh, they, you know, they had, uh, they had flour that they had gotten from the UN for free. Um, they, they, every month, Haria uh, told me, she said, every month we get a certain amount of flour, some oil, some sugar, some, a couple other things. And so they used that on, you know, they stretched it out as long as they could. And when there was no wheat left, um, they got some rice at the market. She said, although it was so expensive, but we had to have something to eat. So right. they had rice. She said, it doesn't keep you full, but what other choices do you have? Um, so, so I would imagine the, um, the humanitarian aid from the UN, the UN was, would have ended after October 7th, that that aid couldn't get in after that, or was well, it possible? It's a, I'm sure the, the family could answer that question for me, but I, mm -hmm. when I asked it, I don't think I've posed it quite right because I never got a exactly straight answer. It sounds like mm -hmm. they got some aid, continuing. Some aid. Okay. like once every three months, they would get these items, flour and oil and Oh, every three months. So every right. three months. Yeah. So I think they got flour since then. They got some flour, but I think the other items they weren't able right. to get. Okay. So, yeah. So they're eating what they can, what little they can. We've got growing kids there in fourth and fifth grade. We've got a, a lady who is 96 or 97 years old that they're, they're trying to keep, you know, keep them from wasting away. Um, so, um, yeah, that's is what, this is what they're doing. They have no heat in the house. Um, and when they ran out of sticks or when they couldn't go outside for a while because it was too dangerous, uh, I saw them ripping up books to put into the fire. Oh, wow. And, I mean, just... It's total survival mold. Yeah, mode. yeah. You know, it, trying I mean, to survive. In in our context, to do what they're doing would be like um, a camping trip with the Boy Scouts, a survival trip with Boy Scouts, where you right. have to create yep. your own fire and right, right, yeah. No, it's it's amazing. Um, it's insane, yeah. So, uh, was what about school? Did school, have schools completely shut down from yeah. October seventh? Everything yeah. is shut. There's no no uh, sense of normalcy then. Since right. October. Right. Yeah. So yeah. the kids have no, no school. Right. What my nephew explained to me, um, Musa, uh, explained to me that the schools are no longer running as schools. The schools are now shelters for oh, displaced I see. people. Okay. And the stores, the shops are now uh, shelters for displaced people. So everywhere you go, there's people just trying to cram in and find a, a safe, safe, warm place to sleep and um that's all i mean that's it's just a survival thing finding something to eat or some place to sleep so what what about like they're they've been very close to the bombing they've been um close to the conflict uh very dangerous um have they lost a lot of friends and other family uh do they know a lot of people who've been killed and wounded and so forth 
Yeah. Um, so Haria's um, favorite professor at, uh, at the university, who was also her advisor, um, was killed. And this was oh. a huge blow to her. He was, oh, man. she was very close to him. Um, there have been a number of relatives that are close to them, not so close to us personally, but right. close to them. They've lost quite a few family members. I think in our clan, uh, about 60 or 70 people wow. have been killed. We've got a lot of the family is in Khan Yunus and Dera Bela, and both of those have been under a lot of bombardment. Um, so yeah, lots of loss. There are people that they've lost track of. Um, Musa has some some good friends who they're not answering their phones anymore. They're not answering yeah. texts, and you just don't know. So you don't know. They, you know, chances are they could have they could have died. They could have been killed, but you just don't know. You yeah. don't know. You just hope. Well, maybe they lost their phone or it got right. smashed. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, and now uh, you probably heard that a lot of journalists have been killed. Well over 100 Palestinian journalists have been killed in Gaza. It seems that they are being targeted. Oh, really? On purpose, okay. yeah. And um, so there are not that many journalists to go around anymore. So what Musa is telling me is that now houses are being bombed and people are being killed and there's nobody to report on it. So nobody knows. So yeah. So no one, no, no one knows the details of what's going on. Right. It's, right. Right. Yeah. Because I remember early on, I would, I would hear some uh, on social media or something. I, I get some reporting from Palestinian journalists, but we, you know, we haven't heard that much recently. Um, There's not that many left. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. But it's just the witnesses that will come, will be able to report what they, what they've heard, but not, not that, that, that can't happen until there's, you know, stability. Right? right. Well, and also they're not just targeting, um, the journalists, they're also targeting the families of journalists. Oh, so if you're a journalist and you're seeing families being killed of your cohort, um, maybe you won't report anymore just to protect your family. I guess, I guess this is the thinking on the part of, um, so yes. Yeah. So yeah, I think that what this is telling us is that Israel is, <clears throat> is 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 not only controlling all these other things, but they're controlling the narrative. Yes. They're trying to control everything. All, so because they have their version of what's happening, mm -hmm. and any other version inside Palestine, inside Gaza, they want to suppress it. Right. They don't want it to come right. out. And yes, and Israel is refusing to let um, foreign journalists go into Gaza. Like you yeah. can't, you can't see it from the inside. You're just going to have to trust what we tell you. Right. Right. And I remember censoring people, the news. Yes. People go to the border and they report from the border, but that's all they can do. They can't mm -hmm. go in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so they have lost some family and friends. Uh, so it's so sad that they, you know, they, they, it's very personal to them. Um, uh, Thankfully, no one in the, your immediate family has has died, though. Is that correct? So far, yes. Right, yeah. So, but it's very personal, very close. Um, and um, they've it sounds like they've been driven 
to at least one. How many places have they lived since October 7th? Have they been driven more than once? And where I do they mean, live I, now? I think it, it took them a couple of days to get to Khan Yunus. Um, they had to mm -hmm. stay in, I'm not sure where they stayed along the way. Um, but they've been there for a few days. Uh, yeah, like a week, week and a half now. They've built... Um, they, they got some fabric somewhere and kind of built a, a little tent next to the house because there's so many people there now um, that they, they just, you know, created a little bit more space for people to sleep, sort of, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think, uh, a couple of meters square um, that's protected so they, a little bit from the elements. Right. So it sounds like they moved within the refugee camp. They had to move at least once. Right. Yeah. And then they had, and then they moved from the refugee camp to this other uh, sheltering place or whatever right. it's called. Yeah. Yeah. They're okay. hoping that they don't have to move again, but uh, they're kind of afraid that they probably will because um, a, a lot of people are actually starting to leave Khan Yunus and go even farther south to Rafa. But there's and how far is Kanyunis from Rafa, which is the border town, right? Right. Um, border with Egypt. Yeah, it might be eight or ten miles or something like okay. that. There's yeah. yeah, there's a million people there. There's you can barely walk around in Rafa. Yeah. So, it's so, so the the question is, where would they go if they had to leave? They the have no time? relatives there, so yeah, they would have to show up and try to find a, a corner yeah. somewhere to sit, right. but. Um, the, the crowding is not just a problem in terms of, you know, privacy and are there enough bathrooms for everyone and is there enough food? It's also, it's a Petri dish for all of the diseases that are starting to spread. Oh, right. You know, there's a lot of disease going around and that's going to, they're saying that's going to kill more people than the bombs. Uh, yeah. Ultimately. No, that's, that's, that's what happens. I, I worked in refugee mm -hmm. camps in Africa. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's kind of the thing that happens. There's a progression of, <laughs> yeah, you get a whole mass of people in one place and things are uh, not, there's no stability. There's, there's no clean water. There's no, you know, all these basic mm -hmm. fundamental things that we have to survive aren't in place yet. And then you're going to get diseases. Mm -hmm. And so now it's just for them, it's just, everything's being destroyed worse and worse and now if you get sick where do you go are the right. are there any hospitals still open i mean i mean there are hospitals that have doors that you can go inside if that's how you define an open hospital but they have right. no supplies really they don't have it. Um, right yeah so and and the wounded from the bombings are kind of first priority although there's i don't know if you've heard this but there's so little in terms of painkillers and anesthesia that people are actually, including children, are having amputations without oh anesthesia. Oh my! Can, we're, we're, I, we're going back to the Civil War days and yeah, pre-Civil War. <laughs> it's it's like it's, I can't even wrap my brain around that. No, you how can't. do you it's do just, that? How do you do that? Right. No, that's crazy. And the answer is ah. you do that because there's no other choice. And there's no other choice, right? That's either try to save their life or they bleed out, right? Yeah. Uh it's just a, it's horrific. Um it is. So um 
we talked a little bit about how much aid is getting in. Um, you know, now, you know, people are very unsure of the future. They, they don't know what's going to happen. Right. What is, what mm -hmm. is their outlook? What's been, what have they been told on the ground might happen? When is the war going to, going to end, et cetera. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any official communication. Uh, anybody saying, you know, hang in there two more weeks because this is going to be over or anything. Mm -hmm. Everybody's kind of assuming it's going to be indefinite. I mean, Israel is saying this is going to be a very, very long war. Um, hopefully that's not the case, but um, they, I, I don't think they have any expectations for it to end anytime soon. So I asked Musa, uh, what, what do you think about the future? And this is what he told me. He said, all the people here want to find a safe place and a promising future, especially the young people. They want to leave and immigrate. The young people here are dreamers, but nothing here meets their ambitions. The savings that they have, that they wanted to use to get married or to build a house with, they had to use it for canned goods and vegetables. Right. Um, so that that's what the future looks like. It looks like I've got no money. I will have no money. I'll have no house. I want to get out of here if I possibly can. But right now, um, it costs at least $10,000 for a person to uh, basically bribe Egyptian officials to let them out. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, take it from there. So um, there is talk of, you know, that the is that Israel wants to um, displace uh, everyone into the Sinai Peninsula, into Egypt. What what is the thought on the ground about about that? And, and what have they heard? So it's been, this has been going on for three months now, right? And it's been several weeks now, at least five or six weeks, I want to say that people have been saying this is another Nekba. And when they first started to say it, everybody is like, I mean, that's like the Holocaust. You you can't use the word Nekba. That's a sacred word, the, the Nekba, the catastrophe of 1948. Mm -hmm. You only reserve that for a real catastrophe. So don't use the word Nekba. Right. Um, but it is a Nakba. And the people that lived through the Nakba are saying this is worse. This is way worse than the wow. first one. Yeah. Um, and what was the question? Oh, the question was about Sinai. Yeah. Um, the, well, yeah. The, you know, there's, there's talk that, it, you know, yeah, I mean, so, at, at least the U.S. is saying, no, you can't do that. And the other uh, allies of Israel are, are trying to, it looks like they're trying to, to stop Israel from some of these nef more nefarious plans. And one of them yeah. is to drive them all into to Egypt and just get rid of them out of, out oh. of the territories completely. Oh, there's way more nefarious than that. Um, they've been talking, or they say they haven't been talking, but they've been talking to um, the Congo, to Rwanda, and to Chad to see if they would take some. Yeah, I read that and I, I was, I, I almost couldn't believe that. I mean, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh we'll, we, we'll solve the problem. We'll ship you to Africa. So <laughs> yeah, yeah no, but crazy. I mean, people, this is why they're calling, they're calling it, uh, Israel's calling it a humanitarian yes, voluntary right. transfer because right. 
I've got nothing left to go back to. I'm starving. I'm dying. There are bombs dropping on me. Yes, get me out. I'll go into the desert. Yeah, but why? Yeah, but why are they in that condition? Because yeah, of what Israel that, is that's doing. That's not right. voluntary transfer. And right, yeah. forced transfer is a crime against humanity. So we're talking about not just another Nakba, as if that's not enough. We're talking about crime against freaking humanity again. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to all of the other war crimes and the other crimes that are going on, which sounds like a good segue into talking about the genocide um, accusation. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, talk so, about that. Yeah. So a couple of days ago, um, South Africa filed with the International Court of Justice saying um, we want Israel to be tried for genocide. Just that simple. It, they they submitted, a, I think, an 84-page document detailing why the accusation of genocide is reasonable. Um, dozens and dozens of quotes by the prime minister, by the president, by uh, ministers, top ministers in Israel saying things that are genocidal literally saying, we've got to get rid of them. Everybody in Gaza is a part of Hamas and we have to get rid of Hamas. Uh, genocidal statements, um, the, the actions that Israel is taking in Gaza where they're not allowing humanitarian aid to come in. They're not allowing medical supplies to come in. They are bombing and destroying um, hospitals. They're bombing and destroying uh, food warehouses. They're dropping bombs on convoys of humanitarian aid. They're doing all of these things that indicate that they're trying to kill off the population. Um, so this is this is the the allegation, and it's very it's well documented. From the South African government, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's very well documented. Everything that's been going on has been happening right out in, in the open because in the 21st century, there's only so much you can hide. So, um, so yeah, that's out there. And today's what, the 10th? Tomorrow and Friday, they're having opening uh, hearings or whatever it's called in the International oh, Court of Justice. Okay. All right. That's for, for genocide. Um, right. Israel is saying, oh, no, that's preposterous. The United States is saying, oh, we, we haven't seen anything that would indicate genocide. Are you kidding me? Really? Um, so, um, no, it, yeah, it's amazing how we're, we, the U.S. is supplying Israel with the bombs. And mm -hmm. you know, you've read that they're using very large bombs. They're not using small bombs that would be right. targeting. A lot right. of times it's 2,000 pound bombs, et cetera. Yeah. And 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 you hear a little bit of pushback every once in a while, but it's just there's no teeth to it at all. So yeah. Israel can really do what they want. Yeah, uh, yeah. So weak. We're the most powerful country in the world, and we hold the keys. Yeah, to because Israel. we provide them with the military with so aid. Much money. Right. Yeah, and all we're doing is saying, "Gee, BB, maybe you could try a little harder to avoid yeah. right. women and children." Yeah. Okay. Yes, we are. We, and and Israel has said we are operating within international law. There, it's just it's just yeah. so 
impossible. Um, it, it's just, it's they're just, just lying through lies. their teeth. Yeah. It's just all right. lies. Yeah. Right. So what we've got going on is a genocide and that's not hyperbole and that's not anti-Semitism. That is a fact. We are seeing genocide. It's being live streamed onto our TVs and our phones and ethnic cleansing besides. Um, th this is just stunning that this is going on now when we say we are... Um, we're a democracy and we are, you know, people with compassion and we, uh, we love all people and things like, no, yeah. we have to, I mean, everybody, every person who knows what's going on needs to raise their voices. We need yeah, to. So, yeah. We so let's, to. let's end on that. I mean, what can we do? I know, you know, you, you you blog a lot. You've got a lot of articles out there that I encourage everyone to listen on your Pathos blog. I'll put it in the show notes. Got a great story to tell there. Um, there's been also, um, you've put in, uh, in information about how to contact your Congress uh, men or women and, you know, you know even the president, I think. But, there, you know, some of us have done that, you know, you've written letters, we, you know, you may, might call your congressman, nothing seems to work. I mean, I haven't got a reply from the person, people that I've contacted, even yeah. though they say, oh, do you want to hear back from us? Oh, yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, so, yeah. but so, there is a movement, there is a movement. There is. Uh, even from the Jew uh, uh, Israel side, Jewish Voices for Peace and other organizations that are saying, this is cr insane. Let's mm -hmm. have a ceasefire. Let's stop this and let's, you know, get to the root of the problem instead of solving it with the, with this military solution. Mm -hmm. And but what what is happening and what can we do? Yeah. So, well, first of all, we can write to our congressman and the president every day. And just I mean, just keep those letters coming, because even though we think they're ignoring them, they have to keep a tally of how many mm -hmm. people are supporting Israel, how many people are supporting the Palestinian cause. And they they will be answerable to it at some point. So okay. I just keep a tab open on my laptop and every day I send them a message, just ceasefire, you know, justice for Palestinians. It doesn't even matter that much what you say, just that they're getting it, that it's mm -hmm. coming. So that's one thing. Uh, um, another thing that we can do is definitely so important is to inform other people. And, you know, there are a lot of people that watch mainstream media and mainstream media is bought and paid for by the Israel lobby. They are not telling the whole story. They're not telling the truth. Um, there's a lot of information coming out about, uh, about the bias within mainstream media. I think I posted something on If Americans Knew just yesterday Mm -hmm. about there you can count it and i've done i've done media studies like this myself you can find out how many times um the words israel and um like massacre or mm -hmm. uh, uh terrorists or there there's different you can do word searches and find out and what basically um has been discovered like it's a big surprise or something, is that when uh, Palestinian victims are talked about, 
they died okay. or they um mm -hmm. uh there was a loss of this number of people mm -hmm. they won't talk about palestinians as women and children they won't talk about them as people like the wife of or the grandfather of but when you're talking about israeli uh, victims they are uh, humanized you know this is he was had four kids and right. this and that right. i mean the all there's all kinds of studies out about how mainstream media dehumanizes palestinians so oh yeah and if you just keep your ears open yeah you, you can hear it it's mm -hmm. it's so obvious something yeah. uh oftentimes yeah but it it and this is really good information um uh encouraging people to really uh get knowledge uh speak up uh contact mm -hmm. uh you know your pol political representatives more than just once over and over again uh because the message has to get through and it it there's a huge narrative that a counter narrative that uh is really hard to get uh to circumvent i mean yeah when i've spoken up I, I, a lot of times you get pushback from people that believe in this other narrative mm -hmm. and don't understand the context of how this whole conflict has has played out over decades right right and so the israeli narrative is very strong so i i encourage people to not only listen to people like yourself and uh and anyone like myself who blogs about it but mm. the real experts um some of the people who really know what they're talking about like chris hedges right uh he's a war correspondent worked in gaza for i don't know seven or eight years or something mm -hmm. really knows he was a i don't know some kind of a director of middle east uh media for new york times right. or something like that he knows what's going on and the those are the people who are telling the truth or Israeli mm -hmm. historian, Ilan Pape, a political Jewish political scientist, Norm Finkelstein. Oh, These are some yeah. of the folks that I've been getting some resources from, mm -hmm. uh, even Jewish Voices for Peace, uh, Combatants for Peace is another Jewish uh, organization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what are the what are the sources that you recommend people go to? Oh, definitely um, Al Jazeera News is. Okay. I mean, you can't even recognize that CNN is reporting on the same war that Al Jazeera is because Al Jazeera actually has, uh, of the few that are still alive, has reporters in Gaza, you know, actual Palestinian reporters who talk to Al Jazeera and tell Al Jazeera what's going on and Al Jazeera reports it. Right. The, I mean, you don't hear on mainstream media, you rarely hear from a, a Palestinian guest, you know, mm -hmm. being interviewed. You don't hear the other side of the story. So Al Jazeera, hands down, does a great job. Okay. Um, if Americans knew, uh, if I do say so myself, we do a, a fair job of um, keeping up with, with what's going on. Um, Democracy Now! always has excellent coverage, and they always talk to the guys on the other side. They're always talking with Palestinians as well as Israelis. And then um, my new favorite to watch on uh, YouTube is Breaking Points. Breaking okay. Points. Um, 
for news. So those are those are good places to go. And you, all right, I'll, I'll put all those in the show notes. We'll mm -hmm. we'll get them all listed there for, for people to check out. That's great. Mm -hmm. I and I think we, I just want to say it again because I mean I live I live kind of in a bubble of people who understand the situation in Palestine. The, all of the people who hang with me on Facebook and whatever are people who know about this, but a great deal of, of people in America have no idea what's going on. So it, it really behooves us as, uh, as people who are informed to start informing other people because this is not going to end or change until we have a bigger grassroots uh, movement going just of people just saying, stop it, stop, stop it. So right. we, we just need to talk about it. Everybody, I mean, I mean, as a person of faith, especially, why would we not talk about genocide going yeah. on right now? Why would we not talk about that? Don't, yeah, well, people are, well, yeah, well, some, some people just can't, they don't want to believe it. They 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 want to be, they want to believe the other narrative, and they don't want to believe it because mm -hmm. if you do start to believe it, you have to start saying, "Oh, well, heck, if it's genocide, then our country is supporting Israel, and if it's genocide, I've been supporting Israel for decades or whatever." You know, that can't be right. It, yeah, yeah, that can't yeah. Be right. So it can't be right. So it really is an existential crisis for some people to kind of bridge that gap and go. Yeah. Wow. You know, and then yeah. that's what it's hard. To, but, but you're right. We have to co continually tell the truth, have good sources mm -hmm. and expose any of the dehumanization that's going on or right. the prejudice or the discrimination and and the warping of, of the media. So um, thank you, Kathy, so can, much can for I being on. Anything else you want to share? Yeah. 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 I, I have just a couple of little things I want to throw out there. Um, most of the media kind of um, frames the uh, the conflict as the Israel-Hamas war, because mm -hmm. Israel claims it's fighting against Hamas, but it's not the Israel-Hamas war. This is a, a war, I don't think war is even a fair word to use. It's between Israel and Gaza, or Israel and the Palestinians, because as you know, in the West Bank, things are really in bad shape too. It's a war between Israel and the Palestinian people, um, Hamas yeah. is just part of it. It's like saying, "Well, this is a war between the IDF and and Hamas." No, this is a war between Israel, mm -hmm. which is one of the great um, um, military powers in the entire world, and the people of Gaza, who have a small group of resistance fighters with a small amount of of uh, weaponry and things. That's what that's what this is. Um, and I also want to say we need to stop calling Hamas a terrorist organization. Mm -hmm. Why um, is that? Well, because for one thing, it demonizes the whole of Hamas, which, as you know, is also civic and um, political. And it does have a military wing. And that military wing has done some uh, pretty horrendous things. October 7th was included some pretty horrendous things. 
but that's not what Hamas is. That's not Hamas. That is some Hamas resistance fighters who might have gone overboard. Um, to say Hamas is a terrorist organization, but Israel is not, it, it's just, right. um, it, it's not fair. It's not to reality. Right. If, not if somebody fair. wants to say Israel or the Israel uh, military is a terrorist organization, okay, then I'm willing to talk about Hamas being a terrorist organization too. But I mm -hmm. haven't found anybody who is willing to say that. Right, right. Yeah, terrorism. it's amazing how the terms that we use <laughs> can really frame mm -hmm. uh, and 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 um, cloud over what's really going on, right? Yeah, yeah. So, okay, that's that's very interesting and yeah. very good points there. Thank you so much, Kathy. We're going to put all this information in the show notes, folks, uh, so that you have some resources how to contact your Congress um, uh, representatives, the president. Uh, uh, how to how, how to get some better information from, from sources that uh, are, who really know and have experienced what's going on, uh, how to overcome some of the media bias and so forth. So we hope you take advantage of that and uh, uh, put into practice what some of the things that Kathy's been suggesting. And so thank you, uh, Kathy, again. Um, I really so sad about your family. We, we hope and pray for the best for them and uh, hope and, and have hope that this will end one day for them. Uh, mm -hmm. But it, right now it's looking really bleak and we just, we just stand with you and your family. If, if any of your listeners want to kind of follow along with, with what's going on with the family, I'm blogging about it on my Patheos um, blog so they can. Right, it. right. We'll put that in the show notes too. You can follow along with what's going on. All right. Well, All we've right. run out of time. Thanks, Kathy. Uh, we'll, we'll be in touch and, and with you and see how things are progressing and, and so forth. But folks, uh, take advantage of all this information and until next time, uh, enjoy responsibly.